0: You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Father, for the moment that we can come in here and focus our hearts And our full attention on Jesus Christ. God, we come from busy weeks. Our lives are so busy. Would we find rest now in this place as we open up your word? God, we come from a world of chaos. Everything around us is always seems like it's in disequilibrium at times. God, would we find peace this morning? Just give us peace today, God, as we come and we worship you and we open up your word. Father, we know rest and peace only come in the presence of the living God. So, oh, Father, would you come now upon us and would you pour your spirit upon us? Would you allow us now to have open eyes and open ears? And not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers. May you speak and may you apply all these things to our lives today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. You can turn from your Bibles to Mark chapter six, verses forty-five to fifty-six. Mark six forty-five to fifty-six. If you don't have a Bible, if you're new here, please stick your hand up, and one of our ushers will give you a copy of God's Word. This is our gift to you. If you don't have one at home, uh, let's. Uh, get to Mark chapter six verses forty-five to fifty-six today. Another message I believe that God has for us in our lives that is going to be meaningful and impactful. Let me ask you this: As you get there, you ever been stuck before? Just come to this place where you're just stuck and there's no progress, and you're not sure what to do, and you don't know what the, if there's an out, but you just feel stuck. Ever been there? I think we all have. In fact, I learned this in a physical way a few winters ago. Ruth and I were driving somewhere between here and Hamilton. And we came across a car in the ditch. And as we drove by slowly, we realized there was an older couple still in their car in the ditch. And so I, like a meaningful, like a helpful Harry, started out I'd pull over and help them. And yet I thought maybe they were spun out or driving too, uh, too fast or something. But as I pulled over to the ditch, I didn't realize that the ditch looked like it was far away, but it was really close. And so they were stuck in the ditch like this. And so as I pulled in front of them, I also ended up in the ditch like that. And so Ruth's like, what are you doing? I'm like, helping the people behind us. She's like, now what are you going to do? And I'm like, I have no idea. Thanks for asking. And so I climbed out of my side, and we're still on the angle like this, and went and said, are you guys okay? They're like, of course we're okay. You now you're in the same predicament we are. And I'm like, you know, we're both what? Stuck. And we waited for two hours for a tow truck to come, and unstuck us both, and the Older gentleman was nice enough to let me use his CAA because I'm too cheap for that stuff. And so I got pulled out first and he got pulled out second. We eventually got unstuck by somebody other than ourselves. Doesn't it feel that way sometimes we get there in life? You're trying to do right, you're trying to do good, and you pull over to maybe even help somebody else. Next thing you know, you're like upside down in the ditch with them, unable to do anything to get yourself out. In fact, sometimes in life it feels more like this, doesn't it? I'm stuck. Will I ever get out? Is there hope? If you, like me, have experienced that before, you're gonna be encouraged today because the disciples find themselves not in a snowbank but stuck in the middle of the sea with no way out yet again. Again. Let's read this passage. It's going to sound really familiar to you because we just studied something like this in Mark chapter 4, and yet we realize that God doesn't make mistakes, right? So you put another story very similar in here because we need to hear it again, maybe from a different angle, but, but because here's the reality, there's going to be not just one storm in life, there's going to be many storms of life. If you think 2019 was all the storms you're ever going to face, you're deceived and a little naive because storms come and storms go, and, and sometimes, sometimes, as we learned already, God ordains these storms over and over again because he needs to teach us the same lesson again that we already learned because you'll see you're just like the disciples and sometimes we're we're really quick to listen and, also, quick to forget. So here's what it says in Mark chapter six. Again, not wanting to miss any passage that God has. easy to skip over some of these because I've already heard this story. I've already heard the story. It's a different angle on the story. Let's listen to it and I think you'll resonate with it. Uh, think of the theme though, stuck. Think, think stuck. Verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. And evening came, the boat was out to the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully. In other words, they were stuck. For the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of night he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walk in the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said this, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Are you kidding me? They didn't understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they crossed over, they came to land at um, Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got off the boat, the people immediately recognized Him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their boats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored them that they might even touch the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. This is... The word of the Lord, and and from a place of being stuck, just like disciples, here's what God wants to see most of. Here's what God wants most of all to see in our lives. In those places of being stuck, He wants us first and foremost to see His character. And once again, you think. Shouldn't the disciples have learned this lesson? Don't don't they already get this reality? They should have been quick to believe this time, for they were already in this scenario just a few short passages ago, but yet, again, they needed to hear this again and see this again. And here's what we need again today, I'm assuming, because God's put it before us, that we need another face-to-face encounter with a reminder of who God is in those times of storm, in those times of being stuck, And so let's work through this text, the same way we worked through the one last week, and just give you some Jesus uh, perspective, and then we'll get to some life application. Let's first look at Jesus in this passage. Let's look at the character of Jesus and who he is. In the times of being stuck, the first thing we need is to see Jesus for who he truly is. Here's number one. Jesus prioritized communion with God. Jesus prioritized communion with God. Look what it says in verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. We can already smell set up, can't we? We've seen it before. Jesus setting them up again. Immediately he made them. Why would he make them go? Maybe it was because of the after party, of the feeding of 5,000. You know the after parties? Everyone likes the after party, right? And who wants to miss the after party? They're celebrating. It was like, wow, we just saw Jesus do great things. Jesus is like, no, no. Remember the whole rest thing from last week? Remember the whole rest thing? You still have some rest before you. He made them get in the boat. Sort of like, it wasn't a suggestion. It was sort of like, a, like with a parent and a child. I encourage you to eat your vegetables. Is that really an option? I'm imploring you to go to bed right now. It's not like a, a maybe tomorrow. It's like I'm, now's the time to go to bed or do your homework. Ugh, homework, right? It wasn't an option for the disciples. And so you see Jesus like a little mother hen packing them all up and pushing them out to sea and go to sea. And so where does he go? He doesn't go with them this time. He goes up on the mountainside. Notice there's a gap now between Jesus and his disciples. He's not with them like he was in the previous storm scenario. He's now up on the mountainside and they are down in the sea going for Bethsaida, a two-hour boat ride. This is the evening, and so in the evening, probably after supper, because the miracle's at supper time, and so it's getting, getting dusk and pushes them off. He goes up on the mountainside to pray. This is really significant. Disciples needed a rest. Jesus needed what? Some face time with God. Again, I kind of hit this hard last week, so I don't want to hit it hard again, but just notice this, just notice this. If Jesus needs time out of his busy week and busy calendar to pray and FaceTime just one-on-one time with God, how much more do we it just reemphasizing the whole like rest thing. But it's not just any kind of rest, it's a spiritual rest. It's to it's to renew in God. And, and sometimes I think that's part of our problem as believers. We we know all the answers and we understand scriptures. We've been in church a long time. A lot of you guys understand scripture really well, but we still run through life feeling like the needle is on E. Prone to discouragement, prone to being dissuaded prone to even destruction. Why? Because the simple premise of this. We don't follow Jesus' example. Notice Jesus didn't just tell his disciples what to do. He actually did it because he knows what's best for him. This is Jesus in all his humanity, right? But why do we run on E, like barely scraping by? Because we fail to follow the simple principle of rest, but more than rest, getting one-on-one time with God himself through spiritual disciplines through the word of God, through prayer. Jesus is right now like, I need my time with God to pray. you went up on the mountainside to pray, to commune with God, to listen to God, to speak with God as we speak to another, that he would then have strength to do any sort of ministry. I'm trying to do ministry without God is absolutely absurd. Trying to live your life without being filled with the Spirit of God through an intimate time with God, I can tell you how that story ends. And it's never good. Take this as an encouragement from Jesus' life and his instructions to disciples to even this week, I want to take time more than ever before to be with God, to hear from God and see God and have God help me along the journey. There's number one, Jesus prioritized communion with God. Number two, Jesus purposefully intercedes in the lives of his own. Again, they're now out on sea. Jesus is up on the mountainside. Nothing's by accident in Jesus' economy. He planned this. It wasn't like you know, like go have a nice trip and you know, you know, no road rage. Like see what happens. Jesus knew this was going to happen. So somewhere between six and nine, they're off, and he was alone by himself, and they. Up now, He's up on the mountainside seeing that they're making headway painfully for the wind was against them. It's really showing us Jesus' supernatural ability to know everything about us at all times. If there's a storm and you're up on a mountain and the disciples are out in the middle of the sea, probably three to four miles out, chances are it's not, it doesn't have binoculars out. He just supernaturally knows what is going on in their lives. Again, another encouragement for us. And they're making way, headway painfully for the wind was against them. And so these are guys rowing. They're rowing with all their worth. Remember who the disciples were? Most of them were what? Where'd they spend their lives? They were fishermen. Four to seven of them were fishermen. So they, this should not be an abnormal reality for their lives. And so they're rowing with all they've got. And... and you gotta notice the, 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 the time frame here. This is around the fourth watch now then Jesus came to them. So what's the fourth watch? Well, there's four watches in the Roman night. The first watch is from six to nine. Second watch from nine to midnight. Then from midnight to three. Then from three to six. So they left in the first watch. This is now, get this, nine hours into their two-hour journey. You don't think Jesus knew that they were in trouble like at eight o'clock the night before? Oh, he knew but he waited till the early hours of the morning then to come to them and meet them on the sea. I think by this point, their gut instinct would be, oh no, let's call out for Jesus. Maybe a little flashback. Hey, we've been here before. You know those deja vu moments? Haven't we done this before? You think they would clue in at this point that we've done this before? Maybe it's a good time to call for Jesus. Remember the last time in the storm and he was with us in the storm? But just like us, right? The, the last time seems to be forgotten really quick when it's this time. Remember how faithful God was to you? I don't remember that right now because all I can see is what? The storm. So Jesus comes to them. Notice they're not calling out for Jesus. They're not looking for him. He comes to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. And you're like, what in the world is this happening? Jesus, you gotta see the supernatural reality of this. Jesus up in the mountain. If there was a storm on the sea and we knew our friends were out in the sea, we wouldn't know where to look for them, right? Where do you even start? It's like a needle in a haystack. Like, get out the GPS. Jesus is like lasered in. He's like, I know where to find him because he's God, and he's walking along, and he, it's like he's going to walk right by them. So they're rowing, and they see this guy walking by. They're like, "Wait a minute! Isn't that why would Jesus? Why would Jesus walk right by? Was it because he wanted to prove a point? Was it because he was going to grab the front of the, the bow of the boat and drag him to shore? Was it because he was waiting for them to actually call his name? Or was it more like Moses? Remember Moses when he came off of Mount Sinai and he asked to see the glory of God, and the glory of God passed him by? Remember that? He just face in the cleft of a rock. Maybe that's more, right? He just, he wanted to give them a full picture of the supernatural reality of their God because obviously they even missed it in the feeding of the 5,000. How dense are they? Well, about as dense as we are, I guess, eh? And so Jesus, in this point, is he's, he's gonna pass them by. We're not exactly sure why, but I believe it's because he wants to give them a full glimpse of the glory of himself Disciples were eyes wide open, for they saw him and were terrified. That makes sense to me, doesn't it to you? <laughs> in the middle of a sea, a storm, and some dude is walking by. They thought it was a ghost, probably. And back in this day, they assumed that ghosts at night were for some sort of destruction, like the ghost of death. And they were even more terrified, terrified. I think we understand what that is. Ever been, again, using the snowstorm analogy because we don't usually find ourselves in the sea unless you're close to a boat? But you ever been in a snowstorm and all of a sudden your car starts doing the spins and your life is before you and you're holding on for dear life and you're white knuckling and you're like, I don't know how sure this is going to end. And all of a sudden your life flashes before your eyes and you're that panic, that moment of truth. You ever been in one of those, been terrified? We've all been terrified, right? I used to love terrifying my sister actually when I was a kid. You know, you'd hide beside her bed, she'd say goodnight, and then half an hour later, you'd be like, Good night! And she'd be like, she'd levitate almost. <laughs> and then she'd be like, her no voice, and all of a sudden the blood curling scream would come and the chase was on. That kind of terrified, except before the blood curling scream could come, before the blood curling scream could come, Jesus speaks. Jesus speaks. Look what he says. I didn't think it was this loud, like, come on, guys. It was more like this. Like, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart simply means be courageous. Like, come on, boys. Like, buck up. It means to be of good cheer. It's almost like a, don't worry. Be happy. How can you be happy in the middle of a... Sea with a storm raging, exhausted from like rowing to get nowhere, terrified for your life. How could you ever have courage and be of good cheer? Only one reason because Jesus is near. When he says, It is I, it's again equivalent to him saying to Moses, It's the I am, I am here. Don't fear the I am is here. The all-encompassing Savior is here. The self-contained God who is sovereign over everything. He is here. The holy God of the universe is here. Not sure why, but Matthew records this about the story and not Mark. Uh, Matthew records that Peter, Peter says this. Remember Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. Remember impetuous Peter? He's he's such the bull in a china shop. I kind of love him because I can kind of relate a little bit. But he's like, oh yeah. Lord, if it's you, command me to come on the water with you. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Remember, can I just rest the disciples at this point? Like not only see Jesus in the water, now Peter's there too. Only to have Peter look at the wind and the waves again and become afraid and terrified and he began to sink because his eyes got off Jesus. And then he cried out, Lord, save me. And so Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him and saying, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? I'm gonna pick Peter up, put him in the boat and then get in the boat behind him and then the wind to cease again. I think maybe Peter didn't get in this passage, because if you know the writing of scriptures, Mark wrote under the tutelage of Peter, and either Peter didn't want to be the center of attention, or Peter was too embarrassed to include this, because he was the buffoon who actually jumped out of the boat and sank. But irregardless, Peter has great faith, but it's nothing compared to the faithfulness of God. Whether you have great faith or have no faith, that God is still faithful as we see in this text in his son Jesus. And so the storm stopped. Parties over, the sheriff's in town. And then we see Jesus' power to change circumstances completely astounds us. We have to make mental notes of these because these are all gonna apply in our lives. just a few seconds here, but Jesus' power to change circumstances astounds us. If there's ever a circumstance this, he should not be able to change. This is one, and yet he does in magnificent ways. So when Jesus gets in the boat and the wind ceases, I think probably now all those moments of like, oh yeah, we have been here before with the exact same result. And they were once again utterly astounded, they were in awe, astounded is more of a, like, a worshipful, like lift your hands in the air, get down low. They worshiped Jesus, for they did not understand about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. All of a sudden, everything now is starting to make sense. Oh yeah, even the night before that was because, how can you not make sense of that? <laughs> because Jesus has to open your eyes, he has to open your heart. And we have to be willing sometimes to let them be opened and not so short-sighted we don't see the full picture of Jesus. And they were in awe and they worshiped and their hearts were becoming soft. So they crossed over and they came to the land at Gethsemane and all of a sudden everyone's realizing all that's happening and they're still reeling, the people are still reeling from the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, the Jesus' fame is being spread and people from the whole region. So the, the people, the, 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 the rich and the poor and the, and the scholarly and the uneducated, everybody's coming, right? The all different races, they're all coming. They're, they're chasing after Jesus like a black, a black Friday deal kind of thing. They're flocking, but they're not looking for a Black Friday deal, they're looking for Jesus to heal. And they bring him in the marketplace, they're made into hospitals, and so much so that anyone who even touched the cloak of Jesus were being impacted by his power. This is taking all the miracles to another level. This is taking the miracle of the calming the storm earlier to a whole new level. Now he didn't just calm the storm. Now he's walking on the water and tracking the disciples down and calming the storm. Now he's not just touching people to heal them. They're just touching him and they're being healed. What a wild picture of Jesus Christ. What an awesome God we serve. Again, such a common story, but don't miss the significance of it. I want to propose four applications for us today that we can take home with us, especially when we're just like the disciples in one of those stuck places. If you're not stuck now, you will be there. God ordained be there because God wants to show you a glimpse of his glory in greater ways. How does he do that? Sometimes it takes us being absolutely stuck to stop this rat race of life, to get beyond ourselves, and finally fix our eyes on Jesus. Here's the first thing I want you to see from this text, that Jesus loved to reveal glimpses of himself in my life. Jesus loves to show us the glory of himself in all circumstances of life. And I love the book of Mark because of this. Jesus is not a God who's coy. He's not a God who plays hide and seek. Jesus intentionally identifies himself to his people and continually reveals himself to his people. He loves to show up in our lives at the least expected times in the wildest of scenarios. Notice the increasing intensity of Jesus revealing himself in the book of Mark. Already we're only in chapter 6, but every time it seems like more of Jesus is being revealed. There is no shadow of a doubt now by Mark chapter 6 that Jesus truly is the son of the living God. No more can we say it's a coincidence. No more can we say that, well, that's a fluke. Jesus continues to reveal himself. And isn't that the revealing nature of God? He will never stop revealing himself to you. For those so of you think that Jesus is a one and done God and now I've seen his glory and I remember that moment I got saved and it was such a great time and, and I saw Jesus and my, the lights went on, my spirit was filled and man, I have this revelation of Jesus that I'll never forget. Let me encourage you with this. It's not just a revelation of Jesus I'll never forget. It's an ongoing, God loves me so much he's never gonna stop revealing himself to me in my life. You're not done experiencing Jesus yet. Think about the disciples. They thought by this point, I think they've seen it all. And yet there's one more glimpse of Jesus today. That God had up his sleeve that they wouldn't miss out on the glory of their Savior. Think of the, think of the sick, think of the sick and the, the, the glory of Jesus saying, not, not as Jesus reaching out to them, no, they just have to reach out and touch him. Jesus reveals himself constantly to us through his word, of course, through creation, absolutely through the accounts of, of our lives and other people's lives. Uh, but get this, even in the darkest, hardest times of life, Jesus once again wants to reveal the nature of who he is to you in your life. Here's a struggle. Somehow we get to the point in the Christian faith where we stop looking for Jesus just like the disciples. Or we start believing that I've encountered all I need to encounter about Jesus and that now it's just me to fight through for the rest of my life. Can I encourage you with this? God's not done with you yet no matter where you find yourself today, maybe you are stuck today, maybe you're like disciples, you just don't get it today and you're trying to get it, you just don't get it and you can't connect the dots and you're trying so hard. Let's stop trying so hard and just trust this, that God in his love is gonna never stop pursuing you. He's never gonna stop revealing his glory to you in your life. In other words, we can be excited because there's more of Jesus to come. There's more of Jesus to come. When you get in those places, when you get in those places of such absolute darkness or such devastating chaos, don't think that Jesus has forgotten you. All those moments are is another opportunity to have a greater glimpse of Jesus Christ. Jesus loves to reveal glimpses of himself in my life. How about this? Jesus tracks with my life at every turn. I, I love that, that this reality about this text. It might seem simple to you, the, the fact that, that I think even the distance between Jesus and his disciples was ordained by him to remind them of truths that they already knew but hadn't yet connected the dots in. Isn't it true sometimes we go through the hardest, darkest times of life or the times of chaos and and stress? Our first response is this, yet God is so far away. Ever thought that? This is so hard. How can God say he's close when he seems so far away? I can't handle the pain and you got to relieve it. Where is he? I want to tell you this today from this text that even though it seems like he's far away, it seems like you're in the sea and he's on the mountain. Guess what? He is as close now as he has ever been. God can get from A to B in a nanosecond. And God's not forgotten you. In fact, he's tracking with you. Every step of the way, things might catch you by surprise. They never catch God by surprise. Romans chapter 8 tells us what can separate us from the love of Jesus. You're telling the disciples in the boat at that time, man, Jesus, remember last time he was in the boat, it's easy to believe he's in the boat, now he was in the boat, well I don't think that applies anymore, it still applies, Matthew, or sorry, Romans chapter 8, what can separate us from the love of Jesus, it says nothing can, famine or death or nakedness or sword or trial or tribulation or storm or even being stuck, and they thought Jesus was further away. He was zeroed in. You have to appreciate this about the story. Everything is Jesus' initiative. Everything in this is Jesus' initiative. The disciples like us truly had nothing. They had nothing. Rowing their merry way, struggling along, too stubborn or too dense to call out to Jesus. They're just trying to do their thing. and Look what Jesus does. He initiates the whole pushing them out to sea. He sent them, he saw them, he came to them, he invited Peter out of the boat, he rescued them, he eventually joined them, he calmed the sea, and as we see in John, he actually instantly got the boat to shore and he even healed just by simply being present. What a picture of Jesus Christ. Now I may lose track of him, but he is never gonna lose track of me. You can let go of the oars. You can start plugging your nose thinking it's the end. And Jesus is never, ever gonna give up on you. Family gets hard, where is he? He's right beside you. Business decisions get more intense. Seems like you're all alone. You're not alone. The internal restlessness increases. Psalm 121 tells us that God tracks with us. He watches over our coming and going. He never slumbers or sleeps. He's always alert. He's always on guard, night and day, regardless of circumstance or scenario. You know this that God knows and He cares, and He closes the gap in an instant in His time when you need Him most. And we, like the disciples, don't think to call on him as a first response. We call our moms, we call our friends, we call our pastors. All these truths today, let me encourage you with this, no matter where you find yourself in life, Jesus is your first call. You never have to wonder if he's gonna pick up the phone. You never have to stress that he's this time for sure forgotten you. It's not true. Jesus, as far as he might seem, is as close as he's ever been. So need to hear that this morning. I know some of the trials you go through, you write them on your prayer cards, you talk to us about them, we pray for you on them. I know it feels like your prayers are hitting the floor, but they're not. They're reaching the heavens. Why is Jesus not rescuing at eight o'clock and leaving it till, till four in the morning? No idea, but it's ultimately to show you a greater glimpse of who he is. Don't miss the glimpse in the turmoil. Don't miss the glimpse in the, in the chaos. Don't, don't miss the touch of Jesus. Like a good lifeguard that cannot watch someone drown on his watch, Jesus is your lifeguard that will never let you sink on his watch. Here's another one. Jesus gives me hope when I can't see an out. Jesus gives me hope when I can't see an out. Stuck, limitations, lack of progress is also divinely appointed in our lives. That we can see Jesus and even grow in our faith and a greater awareness of who he is and see the totality of Christ in our lives. Sometimes when we get stuck, here's the questions we ask. What's wrong? Maybe nothing's wrong today. How can I fix this? You can't. Why does God allow this ultimately? I can't give the answer individually to your lives for that, but I do know this, because he desires more than anything else for you to see him for he truly is. Ever been in that place? Man, you're making zero headway, and it is so hard, and the season isn't actually ending anytime soon. And you look forward, and you're like, but I don't think it's gonna end anytime soon. This summer we are at the cottage and we had the bright idea to take our kids out to this point with a canoe ride. It was about a 40 minute canoe ride with kids, probably an hour. They grumble, complain, shake around, everything. So we we were on our way out, got halfway there and realized this is hard paddling. The wind is right in our face. And so we're kind of looking at each other going, Ruth and I, going, should we keep going or should we go back? I'm like, let's just keep going a little bit further. And so we we paddled for all we could. We were about an hour and only got about three quarters of the way to the island. So we got to the point where we could see the island, but we didn't touch the island. I thought, that's good enough for me at this point. I'm tired. And so the whole time we're like, it's going to be okay. As long as when we go backwards, it's going to be just going to be sit there with the paddles and we'll let the wind push us back. And wouldn't you know it, that as we starting with turning around and going back, the winds, also, the winds are starting to shift a little bit. And as we turned our canoes around, the winds like, had totally shifted. we were actually coming against us again. <laughs> and there's moments in that paddle back where I'm like, we're not going to make it. And even I started under at the kids, like, this was a dumb idea. <laughs> and this is way harder than I thought. And the bugs are getting worse. The wind is blowing even harder. What on earth is going on? <laughs> it's one thing to be in a canoe and have that. It's another thing to have that experience in life. It feels like the wind is always blowing in our face. You look at somebody else, and they're like, who, 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 you know, we're canoeing, it's wonderful, and the wind always seems to be blowing in a little cloud in the cartoons. You know, it's always over only your head, no one else's. Doesn't it feel that way sometimes? Where's the hope? Maybe you're studying hard, and nothing is sticking. Your exam's tomorrow, and you're just stuck. Maybe you're trying to save some money, and every time you get ahead, another bill pops up, and it puts you behind, and you're stuck. You're never going to have that house. Maybe you're stuck in a relationship or stuck in a job, and there's nowhere to go, and you've reached your end, and your limits are, your limitations are closing in on you, and your limits seem to be decreasing. Maybe it's even making future decisions, and everything's unclear. Maybe even everything's been a no lately, and you're like, "What is going on, God? I'm stuck." Maybe internally you're stuck in bitterness and you can't break that cycle and your anxiety is is stuck on overdrive and you're so discouraged and you can't shake yourself out. You're doing everything you know how and you're still discouraged. You spiritually watch your tank empty. and It doesn't seem like a gas station is anywhere near. Even the word seems, when you're stuck, even the word seems hard, doesn't it? I want to encourage you with this. This is, not to be naysayer today, but this is just a part of life. And even a God-ordained part of life. We all get there at different times, and we wonder what God's doing. We don't have to know what God's doing in this instance. We just have to know that he is still God. Can I encourage you this? Paul got there in his life. Reading 2 Corinthians this week in my own devotions, and I got to 1, verses 8 to 11. I was super encouraged by this, believe it or not, because sometimes I think I'm the only one that gets stuck, and I'm the only one that gets to the place of like discouragement and frustration. And I just want to break out. And look what Paul says. You got that verse on the screen? Here, look what Paul says. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experience in Asia. In other words, Paul had this affliction that he went through constantly in his life. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself just end this thing, God. That's stuck. Indeed, that we felt that we'd received the sentence of death. I can relate. But that was, why is this? Well, God gives us the answer here. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. It's to get us to the end of ourselves. I'm already at the end of myself. No, you're not. The more you're trying to do it yourself, you're not at the end of yourself. The end of ourselves is quite a ways down there, believe it or not. We're so proud that to get us to the end of ourselves, that we would know that God is the one who raises the dead, God is the one who gets us unstuck, and He delivered us from such a deadly peril. And we saw Him do it, and we know that He will do it again for this. On Him and Him alone, we've set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Why does God allow this? To show us that we have a hope and it's not us or our circumstances, it's Jesus Christ. He's our savior, not just once, but he'll save us again and he saves us again over and over and over again. But how do you know, pastor? What if he doesn't this time? You know how I know because look at how he ultimately saved us. He gave his life for us. That's the gospel, right? Jesus came and rescued us from the ultimate unstuck. We were stuck in our sin. We were stuck in our shame. There was nowhere to go. There was no way out. Side of the road, tr- in the ditch, in the middle of the ocean, swirling with chaos, and what did he do? He didn't just leave us there, he sent his son Jesus. Jesus willfully took on that challenge. I'm gonna come, I'm gonna do it, and Jesus rescued us from the ultimate unstuck, and he will do it again. He gives us these instances to remind us that he is God and we are not, and he is the savior of our souls over and 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 over again. You stuck? Can't rescue yourself. Don't depend on yourself. Put your hope in God and let others pray for you out of the stock. No, I can't go to the front after church. I'm too proud for that. Let others pray you out of the stock. Sometimes we're stuck. Because we refuse to get our eyes off the circumstances and look to God and reach to God. We want to reach to God, but we want to half do it ourselves. Let God do it. Let us pray for you. We need each other. That's how we survive in life. Know this He made the delay, but He is on the way. Waiting is not a four letter word. Wait is not a four letter word in God's economy. There's more refining, there's more of Jesus to see. He just invites you to step out of the boat and trust Him by faith. And His greatest desire is to climb in your boat and see you through the storm. No magic formulas today. I snap my fingers, read this passage, your storm is over. Your storm might not be over. But God is closer than you think. Don't give up hope, don't pack it in in faith in patience, rest in the faithfulness of God. He's tracking your boat, he's in the middle of the storm and he's not done writing your story. Jesus is all I need in times of desperation. Jesus is all I need in times of desperation. Look at the last part of this. Verse 53 to the end, we've seen Jesus heal many times in Mark already, and yet this is a different sort of thing. Compare and contrast the people who weren't close to Jesus. Remember the disciples, they were supposed to be the Jesus' inner circle, and they were so close, and they had no faith. Compare and contrast to the contrast that to the crowds who had tons of faith. They're tracking, they're not worried about Jesus tracking with them, they're tracking them with Jesus, and, and they're bringing everybody they know to Jesus to be healed, and and, and, and sometimes, It's just a touch of Jesus that can heal us. They had greater faith. They clamored for the touch. Crowds knew where to go. Where Jesus goes, I'm going. They're humble enough to put their agendas aside and get to Jesus. Trusting that just a touch of his was gonna satisfy all of their dilemmas. Notice in this, it wasn't even the people who needed Jesus the most that were getting themselves to Jesus. They were relying on others to get there. Just like the passage says in Second Corinthians, it can only happen through the help of others. All I need is Jesus, all I need is Jesus. Sometimes you need Jesus and the help of other people. The times in my life where I've been the most stuck, it's not just the me and God mentality that got me out. It's been a God and others carrying me when I couldn't carry myself. And carrying me to the feet of Jesus. I remember the first time back to church after Maya was born. We missed a few Sundays with her being in the hospital. And I was pretty in a weird place at that point. Because we knew there's a lot of things going on in Maya's life. And uh, discouraged to say the least. A little disillusioned with God. I remember going to the back of church, and I was going to sit in the back row and just take it all in. And they came to the song, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. And I just couldn't sing that song that day. I just couldn't, couldn't sing the song. I know his name's Blast but that's a hard song to sing when things are life and death balance. I remember leaving the auditorium because it was just, I had nothing left to give. And I, 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 I couldn't even worship at that moment. And I went out in the hallway thinking I'd be by myself and there's an older gentleman out there who didn't say a word, just came and put his arm around me and prayed. And in essence carried me to the throne of Jesus. I don't know what happened in that moment apart from the fact that I knew I had nothing. I knew I needed Jesus, but I couldn't even get myself there. But in that moment I got myself back into the service and maybe I didn't sing, but my perspective was changed that whole Sunday as that year progressed with our daughter, we would get notes from all over Canada, United States, missionaries and other countries saying they're praying for us and remember the first time I got to speak at my parents' church uh, after that whole year and I got up to speak and they have been praying, that church had been praying for our daughter in magnificent ways and I got up and I said, you know, I wish I could say that I stand here today because of my strength and my faith and I'm such a spiritual person but I know I could not have done it on my own, it's your faith that carried us. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for carrying us to the throne of grace when we had nothing to carry ourselves. Brothers and sisters, to be unstuck, it's not just you and God. You need others to pray for you. You need to come to a place where you're willing to reach out for help to God and others. Because God sometimes ordains it that until we let him and others in our lives, we're not gonna get unstuck. Because he needs us to understand the full purpose that he has for our lives in the body of Christ and the glory of his son. It's for our good that God would ultimately get the praise and the glory. What do we do when we're stuck? We hope in Jesus. What do we do when we're stuck? We call out to God. We have others help us. What do we do when we're stuck? We Take heart, we take courage, we become of good cheer because we know that Jesus is right there. Right there. Right there. No matter how far he seems, he's right there. And he will ultimately get the boat to shore. That's our God. This is real faith where real faith comes in. It's easy to trust him when things are good. You are to trust him with somebody else's car in the ditch or somebody else's storm. How about yours? Just because you went through a th- hard 2019 doesn't mean you're not going to go through a hard 2020. But that's okay. Because of all the confidence we need in Jesus Christ. We depend upon him. We Put our trust in him. We hope in him. He delivered us before. He will deliver us again. Let me pray. God, these texts are so familiar. But yeah, I know, God, you ordained them because we are like disciples and need to hear the message again. Speak to our hearts today, oh God. Fill us with hope, oh Father. May we not sit on the sidelines in despair, looking at how other people maybe have it better than we have. Instead, oh God, may we come to Jesus. May we surround ourselves with godly brothers and sisters who can carry us to the throne of grace when we can't carry ourselves there. Oh God, help us to see the glory of Jesus again. We believe, oh God, we believe. Give us faith beyond ourselves today. Open our eyes just to see clearly the person of Jesus Christ. Open our hearts to believe and to loose our feet to run after you with all that we have. God, for those that are stuck, oh God, for those that are stuck and they don't see a way out and they're tempted even today to give in, to give up, to throw in the towel, may this, Lord, just carry them just one more day. May this, Lord, give them courage to look to Jesus. And may you give them, even now, God, even now in this place, you give them a glimpse, just a glimpse of your character, your love, and your faithfulness. Thank you, God, that you've never lost one yet. And your word promises you never will. In Jesus' name.